0: No, no pundit on TV will ever get a job again.
1: <laughs> Dreadful. Dumb and dumb. I'd right, call and we're live back again after a resounding uh, win of Wilbur's captaincy career over the weekend in uh, the soccer level that we play at. Uh, congratulations on that, Wilba. Thanks, mate. It was uh, yeah, full credit to the boys. And uh... <laughs> can you tell his PR train? Jeez. Uh, yes, this is the forty-yard switch. This is episode forty-three, and uh, yeah, as just mentioned, uh, our football season has started. But uh, so we're a long way from the tail end of the season, as uh, as opposed to what we're about to talk about, which is the tail end of the Premier League season with ten or eleven games to go for both m- most teams. Uh, so yeah, before we get off, uh, no, sorry, without further ado, let's get <laughs> <laughs> before what nothing's happening. Um, uh, without further ado, let's get let's kick it off. Uh, we've so basically. A couple of times when we've discussed the relegation battle over the past few episodes, uh, Everton's been sort of mentioned, and I've just been like, "Nah, nah, don't see it. Nah, Everton nah, too good to get relegated." But uh, the results have been very up and down, and the performances too. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that yeah, the the the, the results were were basically down with with the performances and until Frank came on and then it's been up and down performance wise and pretty much down results wise, um, but yeah, I think I don't know coming into the situation that he did come into I think he's done a I think he's done a half decent job. But, yeah, we're, we're, we're very much in a, in a relegation battle now. And he, he, he's, got, he's got a big job ahead of him. And I feel like the stakes are almost, like, obviously very, very high for Everton and probably higher than they are for Frank Lampard. But at the same time, if you... I think a lot of people view his time at Chelsea quite poorly, even though I think he actually did quite a good job in his first season. I think you, you think the same. But, yeah, I, I think on the back of getting sacked from Chelsea and getting relegated with Everton, I think it's not good for his managerial career at all.
1: No. But, yes, as you say, uh, despite my um, sort of misgivings about the potential threat to Everton going down, they now definitely face their face a relegation battle. Uh, they are pretty sure t- t- a game off safety or a point off safety. Um, We are,
0: I think it's two points off safety. Two points off
1: safety, okay. again, uh, Three points. Three points, again A game game above Burnley from safety, uh, but with a very tricky fixture list uh, in the running, which we will get into. But first off, uh, looking at Frank, we'll look at Frank's very brief tenure as Everton coach, uh, and we'll sort of go through some good moments, but also some bad moments, and we'll sort of take a look at, uh, what he's done well, but also how he's sort of been hamstrung a bit by uh, lacklustre effort from players, shall we say, at times. So, yeah. Wilby, have you, have you got a little a little, little, breakdown?
0: Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, first game. Um, so, yeah, there was one game in between Rafa Benitez leaving after a 2-1 loss to Norwich and... Uh, Frank's first game when we lost 1-0 at Goodison Park with Duncan Ferguson in charge and then we beat Brentford 4-1 at home in the FA Cup lost to Newcastle away in the Premier League beat Leeds 3-0 at home in the Premier League lost to Southampton 2-0 away in the Premier League and then lost to Man City 1-0 in the Premier League then we beat Boreham Wood in the FA Cup and then in the Premier League lost 5-0 to Tottenham that was probably the worst game. Mm. <laughs> Lost 1-0 to Wolves at home, which is, was unexpected. I think that was a, a point at which people were getting a little bit worried. And then the game last Friday against Newcastle, we won 1-0, was absolute ecstasy before losing 4-0 and crashing out of the FA Cup uh, at Palace. So tumultuous is, is, is a word. You can yeah. Use to <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, like, uh, like you say... Performances and results just up and down and
1: all over the place. Why do you think it's been so tricky to get a level of consistency from the team? I think... I, th- I, I,
0: I think it comes back to the appointment of Rafa Benitez at the start of the season. I think watching them at the start of the season, I've said this before on the podcast, they just sat off in games and just we're literally sitting back and trying to defend against teams that we had more quality than and I think obviously Frank Lampard has a very different style of play and trying to sort of make the players play in a a less negative way is is, is a difficult thing to do Um, I suppose as well in the first half of the season um, they've been they've been set up to defend in a very specific way and sort of you know the the defending that is needed under that different system is is sort of hard to adapt to I'd say. Also, I think yeah. I want to I don't want to draw a direct correlation <laughs> with uh, Andre Gomes playing and Everton's results, but it's basically it's basically one for one. Like we had the if There's a
1: correlation there, there's a correlation there. Like there's no need to like hide it, I reckon. Yeah,
0: Alan played against Leeds, we won 3-0 then Andre Gomez played in the second half against Southampton. We caught two goals in the second half. Um, Alan played most of the Newcastle game and we kept him to no goals with, uh, against a team that had been scoring quite, you know, relatively freely prior to that. Um, and then Andre Gomez comes in in the Crystal Palace game and we caught four goals. I just, I just think he is absolutely catastrophic defensively and
1: especially was Andre Gomez playing in the Spurs game or was that just a one off outlier I'm actually not sure let me check I, I don't I, again, I'm not entirely sure but I do agree with you I, I, I feel like it was weird like Andre Gomez had one half decent game against um, Brentford in the cup and then just went back to his old ways it seemed which has been somewhat disappointing but well, yeah it was it was Allen Allen against Tottenham yeah but there's always going to be outliers two theories for sure but the issue I, th- I
0: think the reason why Tottenham is was an exception is because we tried to play like we, we saw Man City probably two weeks earlier the best team in England lose to Tottenham when Tottenham were playing on the counter attack didn't have much of the ball that, that is their strength they're probably the best counter attacking team in England and we tried to dominate the ball against him and we got punished I think that
1: was that that, that was the reason f- for that game yeah nah no, for sure but I, I think Andre Gomez things definitely a point I also think uh, with the with the rafa thing uh, often that that sitting back and soaking up pressure style uh, requires a much different mindset and potentially even a different level of fitness to the Frank Frank Lampard's let's press up high up the pitch That's yeah. over teams and adjusting to that I'm not saying yeah, professional footballers of course they're all fit but like adjusting to like playing that way and I think there's also a correlation where almost all your wins have been at home and your heaviest defeats have been away if I'm, if I'm correct uh, the Leeds wins at home Newcastle wins at home I'm pretty sure the Brentford win is at home as well and then obviously uh, Spurs lost um, Palace Palace and the, while you lost to Man City we'll get onto this in a second was that was a good performance undone by uh, some some bad refereeing referee. so again another good performance at home and it's quite interesting that sort of galvanised team high press high energy performance can work when you have a crowd pushing it pushing it on but when there's you know 2 3000 Everton fans in the corner of a stadium like yeah it's especially for a team that's like you know used to going away to teams and just parking the bus and going into their shell it's it's, it's it, it can, like, really impact the... And, like, you know, you can make arguments to say that, oh, well, that's no... That's, there's no excuse for lack... Put a bit of lack of effort, but it can just be, like, a mental trigger thing. If you hear the crowd, the, like, the level of the crowd noise rise and then you rise and it's just, like, a subconscious thing, I mean, you don't have that to the same degree. It can be difficult to play in that way. And I think it's quite uh, telling, the fact that all, like, the best performances and all the wins since Frank Lampard has come have been at home and the away form has been not so good. Yeah, I I,
0: I think you're 100% right. Yeah, on on the first point of uh, Everton's away form this season has been like catastrophic, but before Frank Lampard. And yeah, obviously very juxtaposed with the the home form. And the other point was, uh, what was it? (laughs) (laughs) The, yeah, yeah, like... The yeah the change in styles is it's not just like a slight tinkering it's like a complete difference and I reckon there's there's definitely something to be said about the fitness levels required and play, and players adjusting to that in different contexts when they're when they're more
1: um, and also just like mental triggers as well like 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 there's obviously the physical fitness in terms of like you know can the body adjust from you know shuffling side to side to pressing up and down since you're doing doggies all over the pitch but also the mental side of like after being trained to stay in a shape, rigidly stay in a shape, two blocks of four, for you know two thirds of a season, and then now be ch- changed into this fluid pressing hunting packs state. Like there's like like you know, we at the level we play at, we're taught about pressing triggers. You know when a team passes back, or a centre back takes a bad touch, or a centre midfielder takes a touch with his uh, and his backs to goal. It's like little things you see to press and we don't always get them right obviously we don't play at a super high level yeah and the whole team has to see it the whole it. team has yeah. to see it whereas if if, if, if Everton's obviously been sitting off for two and a half or for two thirds of a season and they, they these certain pressing triggers will just be ignored throughout the season and then all of a sudden Frank's like we press now we press here we press there and all it takes is for a couple players to just be still adjusting to that and they see it. and one or two players see the pressing trigger and the other rest of them don't and then the team just, and then the opposition just plays through them
0: yeah, 100%. Like it just like a completely different different system to adjust to. And co- coordinating a press is very hard especially when you're that sort of open, I suppose, mm. cuz you're playing so um such in such an attacking manner.
1: But I also do think like while all of these points were making valid, I do still think not from everyone, but from some players there's there has been not weirdly not at home but away there's been like a bit of an apathy like just sort of like a not wanting to put in go for that 50 50 not wanting to you know not like i'm, I'm not saying it's a it's, it's a it's a team-wide thing but like you mentioned andre gomez there's probably a few others there's just there seems to be a like a, i think because a lot of these players have probably never been in a relegation battle because everton's been you know faring mid-table or higher since pretty much roberto martinez was in the team um as coach so there seems to be a lack of awareness of the situation they're in yeah
0: I'm, I I don't know I'm, I'm not sure I fully agree on the effort thing I I, I I don't know I've like watching the Newcastle game it was there for sure I, see I didn't home. see much of the wolves yeah true but so basically since since Frank took over we, we've been in this scrap I I could probably see it in the Newcastle game away from home true. The South, yeah. Okay. You, you probably do have a point. I, I, I just think this is the caveat to the Tottenham Hotspur game. Yeah. I think the 5 0 is reflective of the system that Frank
1: came with. I think it's more on Frank than the players, yeah. that, that result. And obviously, we, we say Frank's done a pretty good job, but obviously, he he's still quite fresh in the coaching game. And he that was probably a clear evidence of needing to know your opponent a bit more. Because, like, a lot of coaches say this. Mikel Arteta says the same thing for Arsenal, which is he says, he says we are not a t- He never wants to be a team that uh, lets the opposition dictate how we're going to play uh, it, it, in the week planning and during the game. so that like we want to we want to dictate the play. We want to like, and that's great when you have the personnel for it. But Everton yeah. don't like. Everton have the personnel for it in maybe half the team this season, and especially when you're missing players like Alan through injury, Dominic Calvert-Lewin through injury, I sorry, or Alan through suspension. Yada yada yada. Lots of players. You have to. Against teams like Tottenham, sort of realize what they're going to do and take one and even against Palace, to be fair, because Palace against Everton for the first time had Olise, Zaha, Eze, and um, one other guy who's been really good for them. Gallagher, all, yeah, Gallagher, all in the team starting for the first time all season, and it's not Olise
0: guy. Yeah. has got some, yeah, it's a, it's a bunch
1: of class in one team. And it just happened. And like, so again, against Tottenham, against Chris Powers, you have to sort of realize that and be like, okay, there's a lot of talent in this team. And there's also in certain areas of Everton's team, not so much talent. We have to sort of just realize that sit and try and, you know, not just passively sit like Rafa's uh, teams, but just sort of know where we're at, you know, situational game management, which we've, all, we talk, we've talked about before. And maybe Frank, just needs to sort of realise that he's high fluid press isn't going to work away from home especially and then against certain teams like yeah. Palace and Tottenham who counter well.
0: I think that the, the thing is as well we can we can counter well like we've got players like Damari Gray Rashalison's very good on the break Dom less so but like he's he's useful and Dom's ma- not slow though. Yeah ma- like the sort of small bit of hold up play that, that you might need in a in a um, in a counter attack, he's got. But yeah, I just I just think an issue is that I don't see. I think you know w- w- when we signed Van der Beek and we signed alley the question was how do you fit them all in a midfield because Allen is the one defensive midfielder. The rest, essentially, you know, Decourre is a box to box, Van Beek's a box to box, Andre Gomez. He's probably best as a box to box midfielder.
1: That shouldn't really be in the team pools, yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, like he's, he's like, you know, the understudy of Abdullah Decore, not, not, uh, uh Alan. So, yeah. and we won't
1: even mention Deli name. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's barely featured. But, uh, before we, just before we move on to, uh, refereeing decisions, because there's been a few dodgy ones that have really hindered you. Uh, and one of them, which is, uh, result of what I'm about to talk about um, is in Allen's absence because I'm pretty sure at the, at the moment without an appeal he's going to receive a three game ban for the upgraded red card from a yellow um, against Newcastle and so it's now interesting to see does he bring Van der Beek in for that Allen role and just tell him and De Kure to play deeper does, like surely he can't bring Andre Gomez in but there's a chance he might like what midfield Does can he play to sort of stop that, like to sort of do the best with what he's got type of thing? Because obviously alan is so important and so integral. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's. I reckon he could be could be a shout for the best best player of the club. I reckon for for what he does, um, I I think he's best. Um, yeah, I think just literally just because I don't like Andre gomez I think it has to be like a double pivot with uh De and. And van de Beek, and what like one of them they just have to alternate in that in that more defensive yeah, role I would
1: agree I feel I f- and also I think if tasked with that particular job if, if if frank's like we do not have a holding midfielder I need you you guys can get forward, but one of you has to stay back and you have to talk about it yeah kind of both you going and also when we're, when we're out of possession you have to work incredibly hard off the ball I think it can work like it, it's obviously not ideal but against you know like you've got some very tough games coming up and against the likes of your next game is against west ham like that and then your next game again after that is against burnley for at least those two games and even and even manchester united to be fair the way they're playing at the moment even manchester those next three games those two can at least put a shift in to get at least a, a point from all of those i'm not saying it will happen but like that's my midfield pairing. If I'm frank, I'm getting ninety minutes out of both of those guys for all three games.
0: Yeah. I, I, I definitely think it's the best option at, at centre midfield. I think there's yeah, there's definitely still some questions around Donny Vanderbeek and the and the fact that he hasn't featured much. Mm. I do think most of it's down to the fact that Abdullah Dokuray is just like a better player than him. Yeah. Um, so that's stiff. But now he's got a chance, you know, the yeah. chance to do what he came to do at Everton and, you
1: know, clear his name a little bit. It's interesting because if Everton weren't in this relegation scrap, I think there's also some scope for Ben Godfrey to play in that position. But he's just not really had the chance to play there because he, when he was signed, he was signed as across the back four and CDM. And he's got the, the the foot skill for it, but he hasn't really played there enough, and can't thrust him into that position when you're in a relegation scrap. But I would, I would love to see. Yeah, I would though. love to see it, though, wouldn't <laughs> you? Um, but okay, now uh, Everton, while they do find themselves only th- three points off the drop zone, they have been very unlucky with a couple of refereeing decisions, and we've talked to death about VAR already, and we've. I'm pretty sure I I. I did we even talk about the Rodri Handball when it happened? Or did we just skip over that? I don't think nah, we talked about it. I think
0: it. we missed the episode that week.
1: Yeah, yeah, potentially, yeah. So, yeah, obviously, the first one, the which is arguably the worst VAR mistake all season, not even arguably, it is, uh, the missed Rodri Handball against Manchester City essentially robbed you of a point there. Actually, robbed, no, potentially robbed you of three points there. Yeah. Because if you score there, you know...
0: It's a very different game, very you know, we, game. we we can set up we can set up differently and, yeah. and potentially not and not not concede late late on against yeah against City. Yeah. I mean, it's I don't know. It's it, it, it it's it's very hard to understand how how that was um yeah. yeah, how that was given, how that was
1: not given as a penalty by by the VAR. So yeah, incredibly unlucky there and then the next one which we have just uh, discussed before Alan's about to be out for three games for like obviously, everything is contextual because, like, with the, his challenge against uh, Alan Saint-Maximin against Newcastle, you got people coming in and saying like, "Oh, it's he's 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 he's, he's off the ground. Uh, he he catches him high. Like, yada yada yada." Um, that's like and like they see still frames or a slow mo replay, and they don't get the full context of it. For me, the full context of that is, and I've seen it happen. All season and for years in the Premier League, it's just it's a cynical but yellow card, and the ref gives it a cynical but yellow card, and even the like, commentators were like, "Oh, yeah, that's a yellow card." Like it's just one of those things that happens in football. Yeah. He's not out of control. He knows what he's doing. He just he just he just brings him down to stop a counter. Like I, this is this is where like I, I, we've complained before about VAR getting uh, not getting involved enough, for example, the handball, but then this is. Swings the other way for VAR to get too involved. The referee is virtually maybe double, twice as far away as I am to you in this little office right now.
0: Like, yeah, it's like two meters. Two meters away yeah.
1: from the incident when it happens. And he sees it and goes, Yeah, that's a yellow card. And then for some reason, over 20 different angles and four different replays and slow mo's and stills, he's, he's told, mm, Yeah, look, I think you've made a mess there. And this is, and it's just, and like that decision has now. And like, I'm not going to rant and rave about the decision for too long, but that decision has now lost Everton, like you just said, their most influential player for three crucial games. Yeah, and it's...
0: and yeah, and it, it, it comes in the wake of an apology from I don't know the umpires the union. Yeah. <laughs> um. After, after the Rodri handball, and it's just like, well, the the apology is no good. We 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 need our best centre defensive midfielder. Yeah. I think. Th- the other bad result of it is, is that a red card now? Like, if it's, if if that's upheld, and Alan gets three games for that, that is just, like, it's, laughable. Yeah. Like you say, it's it's been a part of football for a very long time. Not, not even just in the Premier League. That yeah. is just a classic professional foul. It's cynical, but it's, it's
1: a, yeah, it's a yellow card. Yeah, and it's like, I, I don't get these people saying, like, looking at one still of it, and being like, that's a leg breaker. Like, it, it like yes, if you look at the still of it, it looks like it like it looks bad from a still, but if you look at loads of things and it's bad from a still, like that is not a leg breaking tackle simply for the way that he goes in for the tackle. You can tell he's not trying to hurt him, he's just trying to clip him a little bit and bring him down. Yes, it's a very clear and obvious cynical foul, but it's a foul that we've seen thousands of times over the years in football. Yeah. Like and it's a foul that me and you will cop and probably not won't even get a and probably wouldn't even receive a yellow for at the level we play at, which is just I don't know. It's just ridiculous to me. Um, I'm not going to be one of those games gone type of people, but like, it really, honestly, um, yeah, it's it's just,
0: I don't know. It's it's just wild that, I don't know. And the then, the VARs looked at that and said you've made it clear and obvious. Like the, it's the the VARs there for when it's hard for the ref to see to give him another angle. He had the angle in the first. Instance with the full game context yeah, and then he's given another wrangle on a still yeah. with, without that. This is why I think running. again
1: I, I, I've said it before there needs to be the mic'd up thing for the referees needs to be made available to the, at least the fans watching at home on TV if not Probably can't probably hard for the fans at home, fans at the stadium to hear it. But like, just because I also feel like the refs need to be, like if they've seen it, like in that instance, and someone goes, I think you missed one there, the ref can be like, nah, mate, I saw it. I was five meters away. It's a yellow card. Yeah. Like, it, and that should, that should be the communication. The communication should be straight away. If the ref saw it, they can be like, no, I saw it. It's fine. If the ref goes, didn't fully see that or missed it altogether, then the VAR can be like, okay, I think you've missed something here. Go check the monitor. But, like, the importance of the game is... And, like, the importance of making refereeing decisions is and should always be on the referee. If the referee sees it, go with him. If the referee doesn't see it or has his vision slightly impaired then use VAR yeah it just doesn't seem because the VAR made that decision yeah I'm pretty sure 100% of the time
0: a a referee in the Premier League has gone to the monitor Mm. they've gone with the VAR yeah
1: like what the VAR are suggesting it's like because when you hear Dermot Gallagher or whoever he is come on like the Optus Sport coverage to explain the refereeing decisions it's when the ref is told to go to the monitor, they're told, I think you've made a clear and obvious error here. Go to the monitor. So now they're like, shit, well, if they think I made it, you know, it's there's yeah it's, there's monitor pressure or whatever it's called. But I digress. Everton, also, yeah,
0: yeah. It, it, interesting that uh, Dermot, um,
1: he seems to have hung up the boots of yeah, he's had <laughs> being enough. that representative. He's absolutely had enough. And to be honest, I've had enough of VAR too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, on to a... More positive top topic, and I'm sure we'll come back to Everton as the as the games progress. Hopefully, they can uh, pick up, you know, three, six, or even nine points in the next um, three fixtures. I think, yeah,
0: I I I, I, th- I think we can get. Um... Wait, we're we gonna go
1: through the fixtures. Yeah, sorry, we'll go we'll, we'll go through from- them quickly. Sorry, quick, quick, quick. just quickly. Yeah, so we've got West Ham. I think you can pick up a point there. They're, they're faltering, or plus they'll they'll have Europa League fixtures uh, that week. Um, Burnley obviously can pick up points there yeah. um, uh, which is a, it's, it's a big game yeah that is away from home too so tricky but um, and then United at home that I, I know big six team whatever that is a massive chance at home because you guys have been playing really well at home every time ever since Frank came in against a United team that doesn't have a lot of backbone rubbish. yeah <laughs> rubbish and doesn't have a lot of backbone <laughs> Uh, then you've got, obviously, the postponed fixtures against uh, Watford and Crystal Palace. You've got Crystal Palace at home, Watford away, both winnable games. But then, obviously, there are the games against uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, uh, and Arsenal, all away. Uh, no, Liverpool Liverpool and uh, Arsenal away. Uh, Le- Leicester twice, home and away. And then Chel- uh, Chelsea, Chelsea and, and Brentford. Brentford so there's winnable games in there. There's also some very tough games in there as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, we won't go into. We'll probably come back to the 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 relegation battle in the next few weeks. But I just think looking at Watford and Burnley's fixtures, there that they're looking equally as difficult. Yeah. And um, yeah, we're, we're a better squad, but anything can. And happen. like
1: to, to be fair, looking at the, looking at this, one, two, three, four, five of your last eleven games are at home. You can argue, and then uh, of the of the two games that are away, they're are against Watford and Burnley. So that's five games at home and two winnable away games. That's more than enough chance. And like I said, you've already had the advantage of being three points ahead of the, the, the chasing pack. Yeah. And to be honest, Burnley, Watford have shown a little bit in the past week or so, but Burnley, since we said they were looking all right, have gone back to being shit. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But yes, uh, we'll return to that topic, I'm sure, in the next few weeks. But now, a uh, topic we haven't talked about for a while because there's been no reason to talk about it, but a topic we love talking about. <laughs> We've been sad. <laughs> uh, the England, yes, we have been sad post Euros. But the England squad, um, for the last international break uh, before the end of the season, not the last international break before the World Cup, but yeah. Uh, quite a few injuries in what the original squad was has, has uh, allowed for some calls up for some players who deserve it, but, uh, you know, didn't really seem like they were going to get a look in. So uh, that is Kyle Walker-Peters, Tariq Mitchell, uh, and then obviously Ollie Watkins and Sam Johnston to fill in a few more holes, but they've been picked before. But the 2 fullback call um, call-ups, very well-deserved.
0: Yeah, very, very well-deserved. I think... Yeah, Mitchell. I mean, you compare him to AWB because he's I don't know I Palace, pa- pa- Palace Academy, but yeah, he, he actually does seem quite similar. He's he's very good. He wins most tackles that he goes in for. Better going forward, I'd say. Better better going forward. Yeah, true. And I think Kyle Walker Peters, ever since he ever since he's left Tottenham, I think it was it was a great move for him. Um, he's just been what one of Southampton's best players for the last few years and yeah I mean you you mentioned he plays right back for for Southampton you mentioned off air he, play, he plays right back for Southampton but he is a left footed player That's um, no, sorry
1: he plays left back for Southampton and he's a right footed player so, right, yeah. the other way around <laughs> Livermento plays right back yeah
0: yeah ah uh, yeah true <laughs> uh, and anyway the the, the, the point <laughs> being that yeah. he is uh he's, he's versatile um, yeah I- interesting um another thing that we spoke about off air that there's no kyle walker in the squad doesn't seem to be what do you make of that
1: i don't get it at all um there seems to be absolutely no reasoning behind the like the call he's clearly the best fit right back in best fit english right back at the moment uh, because obviously trent's injured and reese james is injured um but yeah, I don't really understand it. Uh, and
0: do you think it's potentially like an attitude thing, like the yeah, that he, Gareth doesn't like? I he, think he was
1: recently like suspended for some games, and Pep said he was very cross with him. I'm not sure if that was just him having a laugh or not. But
0: no, I think Pep Pep was annoyed because he made a tackle that he didn't need to make and yeah. got himself suspended. Yeah. And when he's like, uh, we, we need him in the squad. Yeah, but I think that you know, there's there's been stuff. I think he had like lockdown parties and that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Maybe he's just give, giving Tyrek Mitchell a chance to...
1: Yeah, to be fair, also, like I don't think this is an overly important uh, international break. I'm pretty sure we're already qualified for the World Cup. I don't really see if this might be Nations League or something. I'm, I'm not really sure. And to be honest, uh, with now Jordan Pickford's injury and Fraser Forster's call-up, we've got Nick Pope, Sam Johnson and Fraser Forster as the, th- as the three goalkeepers. So I don't think Gareth Southgate's caring too much uh, about... Um, what is going on with uh, the team? Yeah. Uh, I'm like, well, not caring, but like I think he's, it's definitely more chance to give some players a go, which is again people were crying out over. You know why is Grealish getting picked over Sancho? Uh, that's neither here nor there. They're both going to be there for the World Cup squad. Uh, but interestingly, still no Fikayo Tamori. If we're going to be rocking with those three goalkeepers and giving uh, games to Carl Walker Peters and Tarek Mitchell, which I obviously deserved, Fikayo Tamori is currently about to. Currently in pole position to win City R with with Milan, um,
0: and he's, his stats have been very
1: good this yeah, season. Starting
0: every game, like, and then on the other side you've got Harry Maguire, who's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> been killing it for Manchester United this yeah. season. But yeah, I th- I think that's very, um, yeah, th- th- very harsh on on Tamori, and probably shows a little bit of the of the Premier League bias. Um, yeah, I think Con- Connor Cody is definitely a worthy one. Mark Gahey has been playing really well. He scored, yeah. I think he scored twice against us.
1: I think Palace have the got Cup. Palace have got three players in the England squad for the first time in God knows how long. Yeah, which is really good. I mean, Palace. I know they're not in the top ten, but like, they could be seriously good team next season because they've had injuries. Not everyone available, but like, like we saw against Everton on the weekend with, every, with all their fit players in the team and healthy. They are fucking good team.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, it will be interesting to see whether they, um, hold on to Connor Gallagher, who, who is another guy who quite rightly got a, got a call up after a great start to the season, or two thirds of the season with Crystal yeah. Palace. So
1: given, uh, the squad that, uh, England has got, um, I'm just gonna quickly get it up so I can see. Actually, no, I'm just gonna back myself here on who I think I know is in. Uh, for the games we're playing, um, that's not gonna lie. Who are they against? Oh, you know?
0: uh, is Switzerland. Yep, and um,
1: I want to say Andorra, but I don't. I want to say like Ivory Ivory Coast, maybe. Yeah, true. See again, but again, again, two games where it's a chance to give players a go yeah Switzerland um, and Ivory Coast Switzerland and Ivory Coast <laughs> bang on will be um, what a, if I, to, if he, it, you know he usually picks one team that's full of regulars and one team that's giving a lot of players a go in that team where he's giving lots of players a go just look at that briefly and I can go first if you want give me or we'll give each other like a lineup like, up uh, of players who wouldn't usually get a go but would be good to see them do you want me to go first yeah, you go first. Okay, so I would like to see um Sam Johnston in goal. Uh I think like like Nick Pope and well Fraser Force is not gonna get a look in, he's just there for depth. Uh Nick Pope, as good as he is, uh he's not at all very good with his feet where Sam Johnston is. I think that's like that's just, that's just for the way we play Sam Johnston. Then I would like uh in a in a, in a back four, uh, I would like um Tyreek Mitchell and Kyle Walker Peters to play alongside Ben White and uh, Mark Gay. And then I would like a midfield of um, Declan Rice, James Ward-Prowse, and i no, sorry, Declan Rice, Connor Gallagher, and uh, Jude Bellingham. And then up front, I would like a, uh, obviously I'm going to keep um, Harry Kane in there, just because why not? Harry Kane, uh, Bukayo Saka, and Emil Smith-Rowe. It's my Arsenal bias showing a bit there, but
0: (laughs) wait, who were your forwards against Uh, So Harry
1: Kane, uh, Bukayo Saka on the right, and Millsmith on the left. Yeah, okay. Now you go. Well, yeah, I'd I'd probably I'd play that team against Ivory Coast probably because you probably played the starters against the regulars against against Switzerland.
0: Switzerland, Yeah, I'd pick um... Nick. Nick Pope was was in the squad before. Yeah. Sam Johnson. He's probably or, the most deserving of a call-up. Yeah. I'd, I, I'd give Nick Pope a go, maybe because he's more likely to be playing at the World Cup. Um, and then, yeah, sa- same defenders. So, yeah, Tyreek Mitchell, Kyle Walker-Peters, either side of Mark Gahey and Ben White. Yeah. Then... Um, <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, the whole idea of the the task you've given me yeah. is to give to to, to to play players that don't usually play. But I, I'd like to see a midfield of Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice, and Conor Gallagher. Yeah, I, I just like I just prefer it. to see that. Yeah, um, Harry Kane obviously, Bakayo Saka, and.
1: You can say Phil Foden, I don't mind.
0: No, <laughs> no. Nah, nah. Well, I, I suppose the task—the the task is players you wouldn't usually play. Phil Foden hasn't played that much for England. True. To be like, I mean, I don't want to say the same thing as you, but I, I, I prefer a Smith to the rest of the players. So fair enough. Yes, yeah, so. <laughs> sir. So, so did we
1: say exactly the same team, or did I have one different midfielder?
0: No, I said Declan Rice and Nick Pope. Versus Sam Johnson and
1: oh yeah, I said did I say Ward Prowse Gallagher Ward Prowse, and yeah. Drew yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, hey, yeah. <laughs> but like that's a that's a fun fresh team to play against Ivory Coast, and I would really enjoy watching that. Just seeing like I was seeing because obviously they wouldn't have played together much at all, but just seeing how that goes about, you know what I mean. To be fair, yeah. To, to, to be fair, you know the task was to pick some,
0: <laughs> the the squad that you would you know want to see, a, yeah. w- with players that don't usually play. But I that I think that's the strongest. Yeah, the 11. only player
1: in in that that I think we both picked who, oh actually no, who you picked, Declan Rice is the only one that would maybe feature, you know, in the regular team. Oh, and Harry Kane, obviously. Yeah. But apart from that, that's funky. I like that. Or is interesting, the first time would that be a world? If in both our teams, would that be a world first front three of entirely Arsenal and Tottenham players? <laughs> most likely, yes. most likely, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, if I see a starting lineup announced uh, for a game that's not in a stupid hour and it's somewhat like that, I will watch one of one of these games. If it's just Jordan Henderson and John Stones and I. Uh, yeah, John Stones and Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw. I'm, I'm not going to tune in, probably. Yeah. Like, I
0: yeah. might I'm, I might tune in for the... So, the the Switzerland game's at 4.30am Australian time on Sunday. Yeah. Probably not, but Ivory Coast, 5.45am on the following Wednesday. Yeah, I'd tune and, in for and, like. the, and that could be the game that...
1: Yeah. That could be fun. Has the rotation. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, now... As to uh, fresh-faced mid twenties pundits with some progressive views about football, uh, we can you know we often like to sort of you know give a somewhat probably not a not not a take not takes that we pride ourselves on lukewarm takes, so we don't you know we wouldn't give crazy hot takes out there but we like to sort of be you know understanding of the situation that players of this generation uh, are in and uh, all the trials and tribulations that they face. But recently, comments from coaches and pundits of a past era have shown somewhat of a lack of understanding for the current generational crop of players. Uh, And it's just kind of ticked us off a bit, hasn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Gerard said, um, in reference to Bukayo Saka saying that he needs a bit more protection... Then he got against Aston Villa. He said, I'm sitting here now with screws in my hips. Good on you, mate. I've had about <laughs> I've had about 16 operations. Again, good, good for you, granddad. I'm struggling to go to the gym at the moment. That's not good. That's all on the back of earning a living in English football. He'll learn and he'll learn quick. I think it's just... Anyway. And, yeah, the, and the context of it is?
1: And the context of it is that, like, you know players should just toughen up these days and Arsenal players especially need to bloody toughen up because they're too soft and that's why they lose because they don't want it enough and I it's one of the narratives that I hate the in, Arsenal yeah no 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 no, just that oh they didn't win because they didn't want it enough like yes that may be a, like a factor in a couple of games but like it's like, like the idea that all these professional footballers don't want to win a football game is just ridiculous it's like lazy analysis yeah. essentially yeah yeah and it's like, yeah, oh, they need to toughen up because that's just the way football is. Like, no, like you got Bakayo Saka and many other young players out there getting their ankles kicked in by older by older blokes or players coached by older blokes who will like kick that guy and take him out of the game. I'm sure Gerard's like that. I, I, you see how very matter of fact he is in his managerial stuff. Not 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 knocking it. It's English football. Yeah, but like, don't turn around. And then also, Gerard has also, as we we both know, has said in the past, oh, Rangers players need more protection. You know yeah. from the referees this is, this is it's just like the narrative fits you when it wants to fit you and it's just like yeah 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 I just hate the yeah I, I just hate all the
0: older guys acting like everyone now is just not as tough as them so it's just like if I mean have, have you got anything more to say exactly. as, as, as a pundit yeah anyway so I suppose that takes us to uh to the next one uh on Gary Neville so so Gary Neville tweeted after um, United got kicked out of the Champions League by uh, Atletico Madrid last week, I remember a time when United players, managers, executives wouldn't be seen in their local Italian after a draw at home, <laughs> let alone getting knocked out of Europe. This last week, we've seen a global tour of F one concerts, F one concerts, cricket, and UFC events. This lot are tone deaf. I mean, like, we, if it, like, <laughs> it's just like that is tone deaf. That comment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's just, like, why, like, it sounds fun with what they're doing. Just like, because
1: Gary Neville's a nerdy loser with no friends and didn't have anyone to go out with doesn't mean yeah. they to take it out and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then this, is, this is coming from people who generally, like, are two people, me and Wilbur, who obviously you hear Gary Neville in the intro music of our podcast, of Theme Tune. Like, we listen and watch Gary Neville a lot. And we often have a lot of, you know, yeah, we respect a lot of what he says. But, like, so, this tripe that, like... Oh, players nowadays are so out of touch. They don't care about like the, how the fans be feeling or anything. It's like, and like oh, all this social media stuff. You got Roy Keane, like you said on the, off the other day, criticizing Jesse Lingard for having a YouTube career. It's like if social media was around in the nineties, everyone would have been on it then. But sorry that like te- technology is advanced <laughs> to a point where kids. That are you know between the ages of eighteen and twenty six grew up with social media in their lives from like the age of ten years old like exactly. it's just the world we live in now and like you can't like I, this this idea that like people all these players should just be moping around you know get like dwelling on a massive failure all week yeah you know? like if That's anything just- it's a good thing they're taking their mind off a loss. And they can come fresh, face to training a day or two later after seeing Coldplay or Lewis Hamilton or UFC London. Exactly. I mean, especially
0: with the like Paul Pogba. I think came out midweek talking about like he's you know struggled with depression and I'd like you know, you know the, the the stuff that these pundits say doesn't happen in a vacuum. These these are people who obviously care about losing a football game. And the, and these old guys yeah, got, who are up to probably much much worse after a loss,
1: <laughs> and like you got Graham Sooners who like pretty much pers- like pub, like personally attacks, personally attacks Paul yeah. Pogba week in week out for no reason at all. So it's so bad that people make jokes about it now, yeah, about how much he gets attacked by Graham Sooners, and then it comes out that Paul Pogba is like no shit, he's probably struggling because like, he gets absolutely vilified on by pundits, which then gives. Fans online are a reason to vilify them because they think oh so and so is saying it, therefore I can too. It's all part and parcel. It's just like Yeah. It just creates this toxic level of like, this is a reason why like like the football community is seen as so toxic compared to other I mean lots of all sporting codes are toxic fans, but like like it's just like I, I, I sort of like like I'm not like NFL fans, very toxic, don't get me wrong, but NFL analysts I don't feel like they personally attack the players in the NFL anywhere, and you might not know this because you don't watch NFL as much as I do, but I don't feel like they personally attack, they'll they'll criticize on-field performance, which is totally within their rights to do, but they'll never personally attack haircuts or off-field social media or this or that like the only time off-field stuff ever gets brought up in the NFL is when they have like DUIs or like you know yeah that ilk really serious offenses yeah and that's that matters but like Jesse Lingard posting game day vlogs who gives a shit man yeah (laughs) exactly in fact I'd rather watch that than United play some of the time honestly this season
0: yeah I just, I just think it's, yeah, that they, they, they need to have a look at themselves because, because a, a lot of them are out of touch and they need to focus on, yeah, analysing football matches like they're, like they're paid to do.
1: Yeah, and I think one person who's the other person on our theme tune, who actually doesn't get caught up in criticising players' off-field decisions, Jamie Carragher. I think he is quite progressive in terms of, fun. he's not. I don't always see eye to eye with him with his football analysis, but I think in terms of focusing solely on football, he generally sticks to that. He doesn't go around criticising players for YouTube or haircuts or what have you. Yeah. No, I I, I, I also rate his football analysis. Yeah no I do too much. like yeah no I do too but like obviously like but no, yeah, he no definitely perfect, yeah, he
0: doesn't get sucked in. He doesn't get sucked in. Yeah. Um but yeah it just <laughs> I suppose if if we're comparing people like Gary Neville who attack um, people for having fun and Jamie Carragher and their preseason predictions do you, remember, do you remember that little comparison of their that? Yeah, Gary, Gary Neville is, was just like so far off the mark, and, and Jamie me. Carragher's
1: is a lot closer. Yeah. yeah, and it almost just like it's like, yeah, Gary Neville is like you know has a couple of good breakdowns here and there, and then sort of rides on the coattails of that. But everyone forgets like predictions, like season predictions like that, where he's so far off. He's so apparent, clear as day, United bias, and the fact that he was an absolutely terrible coach, which brings into question how much he really gets analyzing football yeah because not every player makes a good pundit yeah but then again a lot. Like these he's also days, a pretty average player too <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, he's don't got even, accolades don't bro. even get me started <laughs> um, but yeah and, also, and also, like, especially it, it's not just Sky it's a lot of broadcasts especially in England it seems to be that you know drumming up clicks over you know Cara and Neville have heated argument about thing is much more important than the actual analysis and this is why yeah, hundred percent. I miss like when they used to get Henri and other players on because I feel like Henri and uh, and a few, I think I can't remember, but like Henri, but when they had, his like he's breaking down of like how Pep used to play and other stuff like that. He, like, him and other guys, uh, Cara does still does it to a point. Would analyze the like the game and tactics a lot more. Whereas now you've got you know Roy King, Gary Neville, Paul Scholes, all these United old boys just being sour and people and people laughing at it it's like
0: yeah i mean that's the thing as much as i love micka richards yeah he's not very good at analyzing football no but
1: i love him but yeah he's good for comedic value for sure but he doesn't say much about the game yeah it's true this is why i prefer to watch match of the day over um sky sports but then you can't can't watch match of the day is not on youtube so yeah we don't have access to that but anyway... Right sure are much better. Lastly, before we close out an episode that's actually gone on for a lot longer than we thought it would, <laughs> um, uh, is to the, the most recent Hall of Fame inductees as of today, or was it yesterday? Yeah, maybe today or yesterday. Today or yesterday. Yeah. But yes, uh, when we last talked about the Hall of Fame, we did hint at at least one of the, the two that we are about to mention had to be in the next round of inductees, and he was. Uh, Wayne Rooney has been inducted into the Hall of Fame, rightly so, uh, alongside Patrick Vieira. In, in my opinion, obviously a little bit biased, and again, rightly so. Um, but yeah, after uh, you slated Wayne Rooney on the podcast <laughs> two weeks you <laughs> slated, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, no Ro- Rooney, I don't even need to say how phenomenal a player is. Um, I think it must have just been like an era thing. I don't really get how they're classifying the rounds of putting players in. But yeah, not um, sure either. Like my, because like Vieira's, if, if Vieira should have, if it's like an age or era thing, then Vieira should have been with the other guys and then Rooney's now. Because despite how Rooney looks, he actually is quite young. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think they had the comparison. I can't remember who it was with, but he's like he's like older than someone who's still playing. No, yeah. oh, it was Thiago Silva. Yeah. yeah, he's older than Thiago Silva, and he's just yeah. Anyway, yeah, he's doing a good job in management. But yeah, both both very deserving um, inductees yeah
1: um, yeah I, I, just, I feel like it's it's weird like I, I've i seen in social media comments I can't take too much you know stock in what social media comments say but a lot of people are like Rooney for sure but just like you know Vieira yeah, you know what's he done compared to Rooney and it's just like yeah well you like, just Vieira didn't Vieira. Vieira only had like what nine years in the Premier League compared to Rooney, his whole career there. And yes, Rooney has umpteen goals and assists, but also they play very different positions. I'm not, like I feel like saying, like discrediting Vieira as a way of saying Rooney deserves to be, and I don't think it's the right way to go about it. I feel like
0: I think, yeah. you can
1: you can credit them both. I don't feel that just because like Arsenal and United were heavily were heavy rivals, especially the era that those two played in. Yeah, like, you don't need to all of a sudden discredit one person to put another up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, apart from the fact that you get a sample of people who are opinions are <laughs> probably not worth looking at in Instagram comments, you also get potentially young people who didn't see Vieira play. Like, he played True. probably predominantly mid-1990s, whereas Rooney, mid-2000s, kids, yeah, mm.
1: kids now around 21 would have seen all that, so, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, no, I two very different players uh, on obvi- but to be fair obviously if you had to rank most influential and best Premier League players of all time Vieira's outside the top 10 Rooney's in the top 10 so like that that's that's part and parcel but yeah um who do we think would be next who hasn't been in already who's currently we've in we've already had uh Gerrard I think we've had obviously Vieira and Rooney we've had Shearer we've had Henri uh I think we had Adams um Let's quickly get it up. Quick little fact check. Um, Premier League Hall of Fame. This is what you need. Yeah, this is why we need to have these things prepared. This is why I never, I should never go off the cuff. <laughs> like this before we have it um, uh, ready to go. So Vieira, Rooney. Uh, oh no, that's just the two. Wait, how do I go to the list?
0: I think I've got... Okay, Alan
1: Shearer, Thierry Henry,
0: Eric Cantona, Roy Keane, David Beckham, Dennis Bergkamp, Lampard, Gerrard, and Wayne Rooney and Vieira.
1: Yeah, so who reckons next? Um, I think... uh, John Terry is a shout. Rio Ferdinand is a shout. Um,
0: Do you... Okay, do you think Gary Neville should be in the Premier League Hall of Fame?
1: If 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 the Football Hall of Fame is based on ability as a footballer, no. <laughs> if it's based on accolades yeah, and like career and like or career and accolades, then yeah, sure he can get in. But for me a Hall of Fame has always gotta be like the best players who also won stuff.
0: Yeah, I d for me I don't think he Like I, if
1: Gerard can get in and he hasn't won a Premier League, you know? Yeah. I don't it, it, it should be about your individual quality yeah. as
0: well. And it, like Gary Neville, he was okay, but he's just nowhere he's near a, some of these other guys. He was a
1: passenger on the greatest team of all time. Yeah. Like, I think,
0: yeah. I mean, I'm looking at all the nominees here and, and they're all worth it apart from
1: <laughs> Gary Neville. <laughs> but <laughs> there's yeah. really no one else apart from Gary Neville you don't think's a shout. Pardon? Is there anyone else apart from Gary Neville you don't think's a shout?
0: No, I think the rest of um, maybe Sol Campbell. Yeah, like I'm not sure how. He was very. That, he was... That, that might be my age as well. He was
1: he was very good, but he also played for some good teams and some not so good teams. Like he played for Arsenal and won, uh, won a league with us. But then he also played for Portsmouth and Tottenham. So, yeah, um, I think. Probably the next most deserving
0: player for me, Paul Scholes. Yeah, no, that's that's Paul Scholes. Yeah, he's like the most decorated.
1: Yeah, I'd say Paul Scholes or John Terry. I think John Terry is the best. Sorry, I gave you the finger just then. (laughs) Uh, Paul Scholes or John Terry. Paul Scholes is most decorated uh, and and like up there with Gerald and Lampard as one of the best midfielders of all time, in my opinion. uh, Until Virgil Van Dijk came along, John Terry was the best centre back I'd seen the Premier League had seen. Um, that's the Virgil van Dyke debate isn't the thing that I'm not going to get okay. into it. <laughs> yeah we can talk <laughs> uh, but yeah so Wayne Rooney and Vieira congratulations well done. from <laughs> Jasper and Wilbur <laughs> uh, and we look forward to seeing who gets in next but uh, what we thought was going to be a 30 minute episode has turned into a 55 minute episode somehow uh, <laughs> and uh, but yeah yeah, that's just what happens when me and you get rolling isn't it yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah as always if you liked what you heard uh, follow us on Spotify um, and follow us on the Instagram 40 uh, Um and yeah we'll see you next week with a special guest bye for now not forever